You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number 29. Today, Claire and I are discussing acupuncture points as friends. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fee Gitchum. And today we're discussing acupuncture points as friends. This episode stems from a conversation between us one day at the clinic where we were comparing our favourite points and talking about them in a funny way, asking if we were close enough friends with them that we would invite them to a dinner party. The Heavenly Chi Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. So welcome to the show today, everybody, and welcome to our topic for today, which is acupuncture points as friends. And to give you a little bit of context, there was a, a chat that Fee and I had one day whilst we were in the dispensary together, and we were commenting on how each of us had like our own unique set of acupuncture points. And I think it was me that, that joked and I said, look, I'm just not good enough friends with that point. You know, I think we were talking about lung three. Fee loves lung three. And I just said, you know what? I just can't see myself inviting lung three to a dinner party. I'm just not close enough. Like I'm acquainted with lung three, but I just don't know lung three well enough. I couldn't pick up the phone and talk to lung three and say, how are you going? And so that's how the discussion started and that idea has kind of stuck with me about how the different levels of intimacy and knowledge that we have of particular points not only affects our point selection but I think it also affects the way that the points work when the particular practitioner inserts them. And definitely I've seen for myself that you could have two or three practitioners all give a patient the exact same points the exact same treatment duration in the exact same context and it's just not going to be the same level of efficacy. And I think that we should choose points according to the level of relationship and understanding that we have with that point and also, you know, look at look at points as people that we can get to know and, you know, in kind of treat points as, as if they have a personality and if you're wanting to add new points into your practice that really get an understanding of what that point is and what it does and what the vibe of that point is without wanting to sound too wishy-washy. But that's kind of what what uh, today's episode is about. I remember when I was studying and we would do clinic with different supervisors and there was a particular supervisor who pretty much just did bat shoe points every time. So the patient would come in, doesn't matter what their problem was, they'd lie face down and then she'd run the fingers down the back shoe channels and mostly using palpation and a bit from the tongue and the pulse and the, and the story would then select which back shoe points to use and then maybe add in a few from the arms and the legs. And I remember saying, do you always use back shoe points or are you just doing it with us because we're in second year and we're meant to be at this stage of learning how to do an efficient treatment this way? And I was quite surprised when she said, no, actually I do that in my clinic as well. This is not because of the students. And 
it was a common theme as well through many of the acupuncture teachers that you would end up with there's 300 points and yes you're going to get tested on the more and more obscure ones as you go through your course but in actual practice you might not use all 300 you probably won't use all 300 and most practitioners would end up with a collection of them that might be I don't know around 50 or 80 that they tend to use the most and that are their go-to points for things and I've noticed that over the years there there's been stages where I've learnt new things or built new relationships with new points because of either sitting down and reading the Deadman or because of a patient or a palpation experience inspiring me to go beyond what is my usual group of points that I'd select. And I'm always aware of it because I in some way feel as though I want to be aware of not forgetting about the other points. And yet then we have other, you know, great practitioners of history like Ma Danyang's 11 Heavenly Star Points uh, with the story attached that you you only need to use these points. Mm. And I'm sure that that worked really well for him. But some of those points just really don't gel for me and possibly that's the case for other practitioners is that sometimes... I think it's particularly the case with acupuncture. I don't think it's necessarily the same energetics with herbal medicine, although I think that can sometimes come into play. But definitely you need to be congruent with what the point is all about in order to get the best effectiveness from the acupuncture point, I think. Mm. And the way that we select points also may come from what type of Chinese medicine treatment style we're working with. So there was a a period in time where I would use heart four a lot because I was thinking more so about five element classical acupuncture. And then for a while that sort of fell off my radar a bit more and I wasn't using heart four so much. And then when I brought it back, it was just such a radical treatment at the time that I used it for. Um, and, and so it's really in my heart right now. <laughs> yeah. And so I know we have these coming and going relationships with points that we may not get to use all the time on everyone, but then when they come back it does something for us emotionally as well. Yeah, and I think um, I'm reminded of our episode with Chip Chase when he was saying that, uh, and you know, we talked a lot in that episode about the way that the practitioner needs to be and that when you're standing next to the patient and you're preparing to insert the needles, that the whole process of dirty and being able to activate the chi in the patient comes comes from the practitioner being in a certain space and becoming the divine pivot that the the Ling Shu is all about, you know, that the practitioner is the pivot around which the change is activated within the patient. And... um, And I think that the points, you know, I wonder, I'm just wondering out loud here, I I wonder how much of the synergy we feel with particular acupuncture points comes from the way that, like, the internal landscape within our body resonates more with those particular points. And so your own patterns of harmony and disharmony will lend you to be drawn to certain points and also lend those points to being more effective in your treatments versus in another practitioner's treatment. 
I think that's exactly it because with the Taoist Foundation, we are striving to practice from an empty position. So if we are that divine pivot and we have the needle ready to go, it may just suddenly be that a point that we hardly ever think of comes into mind because that's what that patient needs and the the patient's chi being present is like a force of gravity that draws that point through our consciousness into needling it mm. for them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one reason why I don't want to have a reducing, ever so comfortable inventory of points that I select from and then I want to always remember all the other all the other obscure points as well so that when I'm called upon to do them, I remember that and I can hear that. Yeah, and I think that part of that... Um Part of that experience can be deepened by having regular acupuncture treatments and receiving treatments and being reminded of what the sensations are when certain points are needled. And I, I recall as you were saying that I was, I was reminded of an experience that I had whilst attending a workshop by Matt Callison and he was introducing a particular technique of working with the Huato Jaji points and I remember seeing some really profound results that came from those treatments that were demonstrated in the workshops and I had an experience of those points being needed on myself and really found a difference with the way that my that the chi was flowing through my dumai and just felt that I was able to stand up taller and straighter with more vigor and so I find myself now if I'm, you know, palpating along someone's spine and finding that their vertebrae are a bit wonky, then I'm, you know, that I'm going for that approach that I learned from Matt Callison and needling the Huato Jajis as a way of kind of softening and strengthening the muscles either side of the vertebrae that's needed to have the spine come more into alignment. And as I'm doing that, I'm feeling ever so subtly within myself that, that, feeling myself standing taller and with you know having more vigor and I'm and I'm harnessing that energy as I'm as I'm needling the patient and as I have the needles in my hands I guess that it set, helps me to set my intention for the treatment upright chi yeah upright chi so I guess my understanding of this this episode is really just we wanted to talk about some points that we have a relationship with that we feel are not necessarily so common. But this is a really great chance for you guys to get in on the comments because we're just us and we want to hear from you what points you feel that you have a good um, intimacy with or relationship with that you draw on that might not be within those most commonly used 30 points that everybody knows. Yeah, so so we're not going to be talking about stomach 36. We're not going to be talking about... You know, spleen six, liver three, <laughs> do twenty. Any of those types of common points, we're going to be going for some of the less common points and introduce you to some of our friends and some of these points we have really quite close relationships with. Mm. And it's and it's interesting just before we launch into it. You know, being in a group practice, often if you're for whatever reason you're seeing someone else's patient, if the practitioner is away or the patient needs to come in on a day that the that their normal practitioner is not in and you can look up the patient history and see oh wow like I would totally just not do that treatment for that patient 
because I don't know those points or I don't feel good with those points, but yet you can still affect some really great change with with a patient by using points that make sense to you and your treatment approach. That's right. And I think it's it, it, you have to be in practice for a long time to really be able to hold in your memory quite a lot of details about all the 300 points Mm. you know so from time to time I think it's natural that some of us might forget oh is that the yuan point or the depending on what style you practice we might even forget which number it is if we're using the number system or the rather than the point name system which is so much of what's taught these days for us in the west um, so also learning about the names of the points or learning different styles of treatment will change our relationship with what we know about a point. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and often I have to look up a point if I'm, you know, if I'm trying to write my notes really accurately, I'm like, oh, is that, you know, which number point is that? Like I know where the point's located. I know what it does. I know what I'm trying to achieve by needling that point but for the life of me, can't remember the number. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's obviously important to keep accurate notes. And so um, thank goodness for smartphones and apps that we can look all this information up. So hopefully uh, some of you will get out of this episode that you'll maybe be introduced to some points in a different way or that maybe you'll be reminded of some old favorites and maybe they'll uh, find their way back into your point selection Mm, and please forgive us if we don't know exactly all the features of the point we're just sharing with you our relationship with that point yeah 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 um so why don't you start Fee? well i i want to speak on behalf of lung three not being invited to your house or (laughs) not receiving any phone calls from you (laughs) because lung three might have some unexpressed grief about that Mm. (laughs) and that's really when I think of lung three is when there is grief and the stages of grieving are so unique for people the expression of grieving is so unique for people and I found for a while I was really thinking about lung three based on the idea that it is for unexpressed grief and then found myself sort of going down this rabbit hole and thinking, well, who am I to say what is an expression of grief or Mm. not? Mm. And so really just determining whether or not this point needs to be done, feeling that there's a presence of grief and that it can help to ease the expression of it without me even particularly knowing what an expression of grief may consist of because it might consist of dancing. Mm. Yeah. It might consist of crying. But I find that to palpate lung three, there's definitely quite a... If you if you get the point slightly wrong, you'll hit the nerve there at, at the lateral edge of the bicep. Ouch. And, and I always find that where nerves are present... Um, there's a quite a strong emotional signal that you can palpate. So I don't know if this translates for everybody, but even when I take the pulse, I actually feel like the emotional state of, mm. of the organ positions. And before doing Chinese med, I did Reiki, so my hands are quite used to feeling the story. 
through the hands so I touch and then I feel the story and so lung three is one that I favor because I think it's pretty rare to be in this world and not be feeling grief because there is so much collective grief Mm. you know uh, I remember a friend of mine said to me just thinking about Africa is a 24-7 crying job and this was a very sensitive person who, and we were discussing in general having to limit the amount of time that we spend focusing on or being educated about or reading about the really great sufferings in the world, mm-hmm. the great injustices in the world. And um, before I studied Chinese Med, I used to work for non-profit organisations and there was definitely an organisational fatigue and grief that would overcome stuff that would lead to turnover, staff turnover, because people had to do something else to to take care of this build-up of the weight of the world's grief. And and so I guess perhaps coming from my background in that awareness, um, Lung 3 is one that I often consider using with people, especially if the weight of the world may be affecting them and they're upright chi, um, and just that whole area of the upper jaw with the the lung chi really being almost like that, um, like the support behind the emperor of the Shen, uh, which has so much work to do, mm, you yeah. know. Um, so I think lung three comes into play quite often, quite often for me. And it might just be added in. I think with every treatment as well, I look at what I need to do with a person. And definitely if they if they are like a Shen patient, like a mental health patient, which I do a fair bit of, then there's going to be a number of points to help their spirit and and what's, you know, that, that greater experience of life for them. But with other people where... The symptoms they're listing are more so quite physical. I'm still going to include at least one point for, and what's what's actually the context for this soul in this body on this planet at this time? Mm. I really like I really like hearing about your relationship with lung three, and it's interesting. Like I, I agree with you. I think that grief is very palpable on the pulse, and I think that when I feel grief or sense grief in a patient I'm I'm drawn I'm drawn to using one of two points I'm more inclined to use lung six which I think can be for some people it's exactly what they need and for other people it's a little bit strong and if someone needs the softer more gentle approach I go for kidney 27 every time every time that there is some type of baggage I kind of see kidney 27 it's like a little chimney at the top and you're just venting out the smoke and all of the all of the crap that's being burnt off and just allowing the grief or whatever emotional stuff is in there to kind of just dissolve away that's the way that I understand kidney 27 and so that's Mm. where I go for a lot more and you know that's something that you would see a lot on my patient notes Kidney 27, gosh, she uses it every bloody time. (laughs) (laughs) You use it on me too. (laughs) Uh, That that brings me, let's have a look at those those upper chest kidney points. Mm. Um, And I found myself even yesterday, I was doing kidney 26 on someone. 
And they immediately said, oh, that hurts a bit. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't. Oh, wow. Oh, that just really relaxed. Oh, I feel really good. And, and this just poured out of their mouth. And, I, and as they were saying this, I saw the intercostal muscles letting go. Mm. And again, this is like, you know, the intercostal muscles are housing the Shen. And, you know, they, they might have so much um, defensiveness about them or need to protect about them on that emotional level. But there's a really great list of using the kidney points as spirit points on the Yin Yang House website uh, under the classical acupuncture treatment section. And there's just really beautiful, shall we go through these? Yeah. yeah, well, let's. We can maybe just pick Somewhere. out a couple of our favourites, and then um, listeners who are interested can then go to the Yin Yang House website and check mm. for themselves. We'll put the link in the show notes. Okay. So, kidney twenty-seven. We've uh, that's my favourite upper kidney point, yeah. and it's called the storehouse. It's Shoe Mansion, um, and it's to way that they describe it here it's for a depleted spirit it helps to tonify the spirit of a person and that's definitely something that I can uh, I can attest to in my use of kidney 27 helps to really build resilience I use it for a lot of fertility patients IVF support Mm. just to help give them strength through their journey I think I mostly use kidney 20 and 21 as well as 24, 25, 26, 27, and that may also come about because I treat a lot of women and they have breasts and the points in between you'd be needling more so into the edge of the breast tissue and that's not necessarily a good idea or also not very comfortable. Um, But I remember, was it Guy Bennett's in a recent episode that mentioned kidney 24 and 25? So 24 is the spirit burial ground where basically the person has a really deep depression and, and, you know, the the spirit's buried, Mm. you know, and so you treat 24 then. And then kidney 25, the next point along the channel is the spirit storehouse, which is basically the storehouse is where all the food and grain is kept. Mm. And so once you've revived their spirit, you then take them out for a good hearty meal or a soup to start feeding them and bringing them back to life. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting point that you say, particularly women with large breasts and once they're lying down on the table, it can make it difficult to access some of these points. Mm. But they're still, if you can get access to them and if they fit your patient, they're good to look at. Mm. Kidney 21 is actually one that I use a lot and I had that on my list. And I use that for, uh, it says, it's listed here on the Yin Yang House website, it's called Dark Gate. Everything appears as dark or negative. I find that I use it for people who ruminate a lot and get really caught up in their minds and get caught up in their thoughts in a way specifically that interferes with their digestion or that makes the space between the umbilicus and the lower border of the ribs really tight and just there's not much give in there there's a lot of tension there and I find that kidney 21 is a beautiful point to just soften that whole Mm. area Mm. I just want to add in there I think it has a big impact too on on the whole gut heart brain link Mm. 
you know, that we have more neurons there than we have in the brain in our head, that area right over the solar plexus. And if there is a lot of tension that you can palpate there, you know that there's going to be possibly digestive issues, but there's something tense about it. There's an emotional tension mm. about it. And there's a great neural um, nerve plexus there as well. It kind of spreads out mm. over that whole uh, abdominal area. And so if you're needling there, it's similar to when you're needling, you know, REN 14 and 15, but just a little bit more of a kidney aspect to it rather than a REN my aspect, mm. which sometimes... A lot of the time I find I'm wanting more of a kidney aspect than the Renmai aspect. Mm. I also love the collection of points called the Shokan 10 points. Mm. Um, and I'll just mention one today, but you can go and look those up, and that's kidney 16 while we're on the kidney channel. So kidney 16 is just right either side of Ren 8, the belly button there, half a sun, um, either side of the central midline. And... Really, I just understand it as a really great combination of balancing fire and water, balancing love and fear. And so in so many people, you'll see this polarity playing out and you'll also see it playing out not just mentally in terms of the way they think, um, especially if they are a binary type thinker um, or if they're trying to make difficult decisions and they're trying to balance out the love choice or the fear choice and also if their body is polarizing I've got something above and something below like hot above cold below or I've got pain above and weakness below or um, this real it's this really the center of the four corners of the body and so if the body starts to split the symptoms up in that polarized fashion as well so I'll use kidney 16 for a lot of things uh, mental emotional and physical where mm. I want to build a uh, bridge there yeah I, I really like that idea and that adds to my understanding of it and the way that I use kidney 16 is where look, because it's so close to the umbilicus and the ideas around nourishment and receiving nourishment and I use it in particular if there are and maybe I've just made this up I have no idea I've never even looked it up but I feel drawn to use it whenever I'm dealing with someone that has issues around food and receiving nourishment I use it a lot in women who have eating disorders or a history of eating disorders uh, women who are dealing with body image and I find it a really great point for that mm. I think that's definitely a polarity, a polarised issue mm. in thought, you know, that all or nothing. Yeah, 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 yes. exactly. I've got, to, I've got to tell everyone, I'm fessing up, I love Sanja 4. I needle it all the time, all the time. I love that it's the, it's the source point on the, well, I call the Sanja, some people might know it as the triple burner or the triple warmer, three heater. Um, but yeah, Sanjar 4 is such a great point for just helping to guide someone's energy back into a state of vitality. Mm. And so also with the Sanjar covering so much of the body, you know, it's really basically the, the umbrella for that relationship between upper, middle and lower. Mm. And using the source point for that, are you are you using it really as like a something to harmonize to get them all communicating? Well, I'm using it when I think of for Sanjiao, I'm thinking of 
Anytime there's something wrong with the way that the distribution of heat and fluids is going on in someone's body, I'm thinking about it from the point of view of is there excess or is there deficiency that's causing, you know, I just think about it from a really basic eight principles approach. And anytime that there's deficiency underlying the way that someone's fluids and heat is, trans, you know, that's transforming and transporting throughout the body, Sanjao 4 is where I go first time. Every time, almost. You definitely brought it into my awareness. <laughs> I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> I, I've got Sanjao 4 on speed dial. <laughs> Sanjao 4 and I, we are best mates. And another one that you use is Kidney 9. I use Kidney 9 too. Yeah, Kidney 9 is great. I'm a big mm. fan of she cleft points. Mm. I think that she cleft points are very efficient and very effective at getting the results that sometimes you could you could be mucking around with three or four different points and maybe up to eight needles when sometimes all that you really need is just a she cleft point to come and clear clear the way clear the path and sometimes you might only leave it in for you know five minutes and then do something else but I find that she cleft points make big differences for people and kidney nine in particular being a she cleft point of the of the eight extra channel, I always get my chows and my ways mixed up. <laughs> but it's the, but it's the eight extra point that matches up with spleen four and pericardium six. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's a great one, particularly for gyne stuff. We use it for a lot of gyne. Yeah. yeah, I think my top three sheep lefts would be kidney nine. Uh, small intestine six and bladder fifty eight. Yeah, nice one. I like I like kidney nine. I like lung six. I like kidney eight too. Mm. Kidney eight's a good she cleft point. Mm. Okay, and so what else have we got on your list? Heart three. We both use yeah. heart three a lot. I think I use heart three almost exclusively when when I'm looking to calm the shen, and I feel that the you know being a water point and the dynamic between water and fire is more often what's out of harmony mm. with, with my patients. And I find that heart three is a much gentler approach than heart seven. Mm. So if I see the red tip on the tongue, I'm thinking, okay, so we need to soothe that heart heat. There's a fire element channel. Let's do the water point. Yeah. Heart three. I always remember my very first experience of heart three was in first year and I did it on myself um, simply from studying the points and feeling really stressed and going through something and I did it on myself and it was literally like I took a magic pill and I felt better straight away. <laughs> That's great. It was my first, the first point I fell in love with was heart three. It's such a lovely point. It's yeah. like a cuddle. It's really like a cuddle. I so think it's, it's grapey tongue and acupuncture. Yeah, it's the grapey <laughs> tongue of acupuncture. <laughs> I really like as well, I mean, you've got lots of heart points that you're in love with. Yeah. You well, can't talk about heart seven though. Everyone uses heart seven. But why don't I you won't. talk about four, five, and six? Okay. So, uh, well, heart six I really love for people who are more yin deficient. And I, I guess I got into it that way through the heart six, kidney seven combination for the, the night sweats. And it's just so effective there if you need something more... Um, to astringe or collect the heart chi, like if the heart chi is really dissipating. 
through yeah. a deficiency or a stress. And heart six is scattering. the heart six is the sheath left point. Is it? Yeah. Great. I I remember it from, um, oh, no, that's not heart six. I'm thinking of heart five. Heart five is the law point. Yeah, and I remember heart five from a study on rats maybe. But people who, or people or rats, I can't remember. I just remember the details of the study. If you'd had heart five, needled recently and then you had a heart attack you were less likely to die wow well that's i'll have to see if i can find the reference for that for the show notes that's helpful um so for me i remember heart five one day when i was in student clinic and um it was sort of quiet and there was one patient and six students and the patient was heartbroken that's what they came in for Mm. and we said to the supervisor, you know, where we're all going, okay, so pericardium six and, you know, this and that and maybe spleen six, that's meant to be calming. And, and, and the supervisor said, heart five is for heartbreak. Mm. And I haven't necessarily read it anywhere, but it really stuck with me. Um, and being the law point, you know, I've found my own ways of, trying to think about why is heart five for heartbreak and I think that that makes a lot of sense because the the small intestine channel is there to protect the heart um, and to try and help take on some of the load so uh, I always think of that with heartbreak Mm, that's Mm. interesting that reminds me that I I use pericardium seven every time for heartbreak and I think that might have been something I read in Machocha many, many years ago when I was studying, but that stayed with me. And I almost always use pericardium 7 for heartbreak. Mm. So it's interesting that we can have such specific points that work every time. And I don't know, I I mean, I'm not that good friends with heart 5, but I'm sure that it's really great for heartbreak. I should Mm. try it. I'll do a a controlled trial of my patients when they come for heartbreak hole. Do some of them with heart five and some with pericardium seven and see what happens. Or both. Yeah. That must be for divorce. Well, I don't know. Like I sometimes I think more is not necessarily better. I remember no. one time I accidentally accidentally needled lung six and lung seven on the same patient on the same day and this patient was in acute grief. His wife had passed away only a couple of months beforehand. And it thrust him into the worst cold. Like he he had a cold for three months. He was really sick. It just pushed too much of his grief too soon to the surface. So I'm always really mm. cautious around emotional stuff. Mm. So what about gallbladder 26? Let's I go somewhere it. different. I love it. Gallbladder 26 is on the abdomen and it's one soon below liver 13 and I always have to look it up I can never remember the number but it's a really great one for dampness in the in the middle or lower jaw the point name is Daimai so it's one of the points on Daimai mm. and so if I'm ever doing a Daimai treatment I'm often doing gallbladder 41 gallbladder 26 I may or may not do Sanjar 5 to couple it but that's kind of my way of saying to the body hey I'm really doing this Daimai thing I might also add in gallbladder 28 that's down sort of in the pelvis as well, particularly on women if they've got 
poly, you know, if they've got PCOS or they've got, mm. you know, some kind of substantial damp or phlegm in the pelvis. But that's a really great point that I use a lot, particularly for gynae stuff. I'm pressing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> what does yeah. it feel like? Well, I mean, I'm... I'm learning more about it through pressing it while you talk about it. And also I have to say, Claire did this point on me only about two weeks ago. And I said, what, what point are you doing? Because it felt like it was in a different spot than what it was in when she needled it. And I was lying down, so I didn't really sit up to look. But my sense of locating it in my mind had it in a different spot mm. to where it was. So that was an interesting experience. But, yeah, I think... There's so many points around the belly and the torso that would relate to areas where we store stuff. Mm, there's so much info stored in the abdomen. So much and little bits of muscle. There's a lot of complexity in the layers of the musculature there and the way that we support all of our organs are held up by all the tendons. So, um, And then there's a lot of tension that would be held. So people with lower back pain often can have the pain cleared more easily through working on the front abdomen and the front gallbladder channel and the gallbladder 30 um, and in muscle language releasing the psoas deep in there will really ease the lower back pain and the same thing with working with the lower belly below the belly button to ease neck pain so there's just I would make friends with all the, all the points on the front torso there yeah there's so many of them and they're all like have their own special qualities that are just subtly yeah subtly distinguish them from their neighbors Mm. yeah they're definitely worthwhile Mm. i want to wrap up to make a a quick comment about a a point that's not really a point that's found its way onto nearly all of my charts in the last couple of years and that is well what i write it down as asher veins and then I'll put like a region. And what I'm looking for, and this is this is inspired by Heather Bruce, and she was inspired by a comment that was made by Chris Cresser, where he said, meridians don't exist, they were talking about blood vessels. And Heather went, oh, what a load of crap. I'm going to go and try and prove this wrong, using the theory that if you can prove it wrong, then it's kind of disproves it. Anyway, so she went and she found all the little capillaries and she started bloodletting them. And she found that it actually made a really massive difference to her patients. And and she shared that with us on one of the Facebook forums and I think um, her and I exchanged a couple of emails about it privately. Anyway, I started doing it on some of my patients and, you know, her advice was to look for the smallest veins. Don't go for the big ones. Go for the really little ones. And you're only then getting a couple of drops of blood out and it doesn't doesn't deplete people too much. So I've since found it to be still effective, particularly if you're needling really deficient patients, to do it on not necessarily to use a lancet but even just to use a normal needle and to, to needle that way, it still activates the, the, the vessel um, and it will bleed if it needs to bleed and it won't bleed if it doesn't need to bleed. So people aren't being depleted unnecessarily. And, and the thinking is that when the body has excess, that the excess goes into the law vessels and that when the law vessels get filled, that the body just makes more and more law vessels and these manifest as spider veins. And so that we are helping the body to 
get rid of the excess and helping to adjust the law vessels by doing this. And obviously you've got to treat the underlying and if there's underlying spleen deficiency or heart deficiency, something to do with the integrity of the vessels, then that needs to be addressed as well. Uh, but that's something that's made a profound difference um, and I've become really great friends with those little veins and I've got patients who have got um, spider veins and varicose veins who've had great results. Even pregnant women with those massive varicose veins in their feet come good really quickly. I had a patient with her feet were nearly black from just a lack of circulation and such massive chi deficiency and blood deficiency she just wasn't getting the circulation to her feet and her feet literally within the space of one treatment within 24 hours went from black to pink and her doctor was amazed because her doctor was thinking oh my gosh she's about to lose her feet saw the results and said right you go back to that acupuncturist and you follow every instruction that she tells you <laughs> you go as many times as she tells you you need to go to get you know because this is an amazing result so mm. that's definitely um make friends with the little with the little guys i think there's a bit of a culture of of um it being a little bit no no to do any bloodletting in a deficient patient but I have to agree because I use this method as well, that if we understand that, yes, of course, the the root pattern here is a deficiency and we need to treat that, but when appropriate and periodically during the treatment, if we can actually, it's almost like taking out the trash, mm. you know, um, if we can relieve these areas where there is stagnation, but the stagnation itself is actually... Um, been cordoned off to a particular area and it's just stuck there and it's not going to go anywhere but it's creating an overall pressure or backlog on the body mm. um, then I think in those circumstances we don't need to be afraid of, of bloodletting or releasing that type of stagnation on a deficient patient we just need to make sure that our sequence and our procedure is is correct in addressing the deficiency mm. and that we do this at the appropriate time and stage of treatment. Yeah, because you can make people worse and I've seen patients who are deficient who've been bloodlet and they've ended up with like a three-day migraine or right. you know they've had eczema that's gotten worse. Um, and so I've seen and heard of, you know, cases where it's gone wrong um, and that's why I've... I, and possibly because I've also had a history of pretty profound blood deficiency at different times, and so I'm always very cautious of protecting my patient's blood energy. And so that's that's where I've engineered my version of using just the normal acupuncture needle rather than a lancet for deficient patients. Well, now that we're talking, I've got so many favourite points that I want to talk about, but I have a patient, so I think I'm going to have to wrap up for today. Yeah, anyway. yeah we got to wrap it up. <laughs> but I'm also really interested in what kind of less commonly used points you guys are using and why you're using them. They're always one of my favourite threads when they come up on the forums is, you know, list your favourite points, go! Yeah. <laughs> so please do have a chat with us about what points you're using and why. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye.